Welcome to the Destiny Podcast. That little guy needed a bit of help, didn't he? And, you know, we're a bit like that. We try and live our lives on our own and try and work it all out, try and make it all happen, try and, you know, survive. And actually, we need our big dad to help us. And what I want to talk about this morning is, is I want to give a big, a big, big picture. And it may take me to lunchtime to get there, but we will stop for a coffee break in the middle. So don't worry. I know what you guys are like. You need your coffee and <laughs> your apples and your penguin biscuits and your cake and everything. So that's all right. We'll stop somewhere in the middle. But um, I just want to paint a really big picture of... Um, you know, what I think has gone wrong with the state of the human heart and how it is put right again. And, um, you know, we hear a lot these days about the orphan heart or the orphan spirit or the orphanness in society and, you know, that sort of thing. And so I just really want to look at that and try and paint a big picture. Um, so um, I will be giving a lot of scriptures um, as we go through, um, but you don't have to look them all up because we're going to skip through them at quite a pace. But it's one of those, it's, it's, I hope by the end of the morning it, it will make sense of how we often feel, how we often think, how we often behave. And, you know, really what a, a lot of society, the reason why a lot of society, a lot of Humanity, if you like, is the way it is. So a lot of people talk about the orphan spirit, and I prefer to talk about the orphan heart because it's into our heart that God pours his love. And it's, it's with our heart that we believe, and it's in our heart that he makes his home. And the thing, you know, when, when we talk about the orphan spirit, often people think, oh, well, we can cast the orphan spirit out. We can do a bit of deliverance and say, in the name of Jesus, the orphan spirit, go. Well, the, the thing about an orphan, orphan heart or an orphan spirit is, is there's nothing there to cast out. Because an orphan heart is an empty heart. And, you know, what I'm more interested in is seeing hearts filled with love. Um, because when love comes, fear has to go. You know, I've, I've decided after many years that, that fear is the opposite of love. I used to think that hate was the opposite of love. But, you know, John says in his letter that perfect love casts out fear. And where, where lo when love comes in, fear has to go. And we are so often conditioned by fear. Um, you know, you know, a fear of the future, a fear of our health, a fear of our job, a fear of our for our families, you know, all these different things. And it's very, very subtle. And sometimes those things can take us over and they, they rule us. But when we live in love, fear has to go. Um, you know, one of the stories I, I tell people is, um, you know, when, when, I, when Fiona and I first went to Toronto in 2002 to a conference called The Father Loves You, you know, I went with a list of all the things that I wanted God to sort out. You know, I thought, no one there will know me. <laughs> and, um, you know, I can, I can just write this, um, this list of stuff and I can be completely anonymous and God can just deal with it all. Wouldn't that be nice, you know? 
sort of get it over and done with in a, in, in a week. Well, the first thing that happened when we got to Toronto, we walked in the church, and um, somebody actually from this church was on the door welcoming everybody there. I can't remember her name. Was it the doctor, Ruth? Yeah, Ruth. Ruth Clay, that's it. She was welcoming people, and she saw our name badge, and it had Mark and Fiona from Oxford, England. And she said, oh, my brother goes to the church in Oxford. Do you know him? Oh, yeah, I know your brother. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to know anybody here. You know, I don't even want to know the sister of someone I know. <laughs> and then I walk, we walked into the hall, and there I saw the back of these two people. And I thought, oh, no, I know those people. <laughs> you know, and suddenly my nice idea of being anonymous was just blown apart. And then in a ministry, in a ministry time, I, I had this little discussion. You know, I was lying on the floor. A guy was praying for me. He had his hand on my chest. And, you know, and I just thought, you know, okay, Father, I'm here. You know, sort my list out. Sort all the stuff in my, my life out. But this guy who was praying for me was really, really distracting me. You know, he wasn't praying at this point. He just had his hand on me, on my chest. And it felt like he was pushing me through the floor. And so I, I thought, you know, just go away, you know, leave me alone. I want God to sort my list out. And I thought, you know, it just felt like there was this great big Canadian lumberjack, you know, like sort of great big hand pushing me through the floor. And I thought, for goodness sake, go away. And I had my eyes closed because I'm British. And so I decided I would do the British thing and just open one eye and smile sweetly at him and in the hope that he would get the message, you know, like, go away. And then I thought, well, if he, doesn't, if he doesn't get the message, then I'll just say, oh, excuse me, excuse me, old chap, you know, would you like to let go of me? But when I opened my eye to look at this guy, there was absolutely nobody there. And I was still felt this hand pushing me through the floor. Now, I'm a little bit slow, but I did realize this was probably God. So I said, oh, God, you've turned up. How nice of you to come. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe now, now you're here, we can sort my list out. And he said, yes, Mark, your list. I said, oh, you're listening. Oh, about time. <laughs> and I said, yeah, my list. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not interested in your list. What? You're God. You must want me sorted out. You must want to you know, deal with all this stuff. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, I'm more interested in my list. And I said, so what's on your list? Because I'm quite quick, really. If you're dealing with God, you need to sort of respond quickly. Otherwise, it just goes on. <laughs> so I said, okay, God, what's on your list? What's on your list, Father? And he said, I just want to baptize you in my love this week. And I said, okay, but what about my list? He said, don't worry about your list. <laughs> and, you know, and what happened, when, when, probably about six months later, I realized that most things on my list had been dealt with. And, you know, when we live in love, all the stuff of our life goes because, you know, where, when, when love comes, fear goes. When love comes, you know, the light of his love comes, in darkness flees. And it was just so like, ah, oh, so, oh, this is so easy. <laughs> this is so much easier than the sort of striving, stressful life of trying to get myself sorted out. Because actually, at the end of the day, we can't get ourselves sorted out. Uh, but when we live in love, love just sorts us out automatically. And one of the things, you know, I, 
I, I told you yesterday my dad died in a car crash when I was 10. You know, I drive 15,000, 16,000 miles a year in my car. I ha when I get in a car behind a wheel, I have no fear, you know, at all. None whatsoever. I'm not bothered about myself. I'm not bothered about the other drivers on the road. You know, it, I, I'm just not worried at all. But when we first got married, um, whenever Fiona went out in the car on her own, there was this fear in me that rose up and said, she won't come back. She's going to die in a car accident. And that was a fear that I struggled with for, like, years. Um, you know, I can get in an airplane and fly around the world. Now, I understand the science of an airplane. You know, I understand the science of how it stays up in the air. I don't understand the logic of it. To me, it is totally illogical that an airplane stays up in the sky. You know, in my opinion, it should fall to the ground. <laughs> you know, it shouldn't even take off. <laughs> but, you know, I can fly anywhere. I can fly around the world. I can, I, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't bother me. But Fiona used to, when she went on a plane on her own, when she used to fly from Birmingham to Edinburgh to see her parents, it was like this fear would grip me that the plane would crash. And it's all totally irrational, of course. Um, yeah, I flew to New Zealand in November, and the, we flew on one of these double-decker planes from Heathrow. And it, it was like going for a Sunday afternoon stroll down the runway. It was like, you know, this plane was sort of, it felt like it was just wandering along, you know. Now, I knew that it must be going the right speed, and I knew that it could fly because I'd seen them fly. But I thought, this thing is not going fast enough, you know. And then, then the nose came up, and I thought, it's just going to fall back down again. And then we took off, we got off the ground. I thought, this is just not going fast enough. It's just going to flop. But it didn't, of course, and it took us all the way to New Zealand, which was, was great. But the more I've lived in love, the more I've planted my life in love, you know, that fear of Fiona or the kids having a car accident or a plane crash or anything is gone. Because perfect love casts out fear. And, you know, if you struggle with fear, whatever it is, and we all do, you know, um, we all have our, our fears, we all have our apprehensions, we all have our worries. If you struggle with fear, the easiest way to deal with it is to be more and more planted in love. Because when we live in love, perfect love casts out fear. And it just happens automatically. You know, fear takes one look at love and says, I'm out. <laughs> and so, you know, I just, if, if, you, if, if you struggle with fear of whatever sort, whether it's health, finances, job, children, um, you know, whatever, then... Just bring that to Father and say, Father, you know that little prayer again, Father, will you fill me with your love? Because the more he does, the more those fears go. And we live in a very fearful society. You know, it's just like, it's bombarded at us on the news. Like, you're not going to have enough money when you're, an old, old, when you're in your old age. Well, you know, most of you are young enough not even to be thinking about pensions. Some of us, like Timo and I, are thinking, it's getting a bit closer. <laughs> I just wanted to get that in quickly. <laughs> so, uh, <yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> and, you know, some of us worry about our health. You know, are we going to be healthy? Are we going to stay well? Are we going to stay fit? Well, the answer is just to stop doing sport. I, I told you that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Timo went to the gym this morning. I mean, man, the guy's crazy. He gets up early and goes to the gym. I mean, that's two negatives before we've had breakfast. <laughs> before we've even had breakfast. <laughs> you know, I drew the curtains when I got up and his car was gone. I thought, oh, he's gone to the gym. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't invite me to go. <laughs> so, you know, it's like this society that we live in is, is riddled with fear. And, that, you know, that's what I want to look at a little bit in, in, in a way as we look at this big topic this morning. But I want you to just start imagining something. You know, let your, let your creative juices run wild for a few moments. Because I want us to think together, what was God thinking about before he created the earth? What was in his mind? See, yesterday we talked about God being our real father. We talked about us being a twinkle in his eye before the beginning of time. You know, before the, before the creation of the world, he knew us. So what was God thinking about? What, what did he want his family to be like? What did he, you know, we, we said yesterday he, he knew us, he conceived us, he, he knew everything about us, he knew the place we would be born, the color of our hair, the color of our eyes, you know, he knew all that stuff. But, so what did he want this family to be like? Because I believe that he only ever has had one plan. And, you know, he's only got plan A. And he will do anything, and he has done anything and everything in order to see his plan A accomplished. Because the family that God originally wanted is so very, very different to the way we often live our lives. Um, see, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, in the New Living Translation, it says, you created everything, and it is for your pleasure that they exist, and they were created. You know, that tells us something straight away, that we were created for his pleasure. We were created to bring him pleasure. And that's so natural for a father. You know, a father wants his children to bring him pleasure. A mother wants her children to bring her pleasure. You know, our children are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. You know, they've done stuff that they shouldn't have done. They, they had their temper tantrums when they were young. They had their paddies, you know, they, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, when I look back, and even now, our children bring us great pleasure. You know, they're such fun to be with. We really, you know, we really get on well as a family. They get on well together as four kids, which is, is great. And... You know, it's just they, they bring us so much pleasure. Two years ago, we, we went on holiday together. Um, we kind of thought it might be the last family holiday we have before they all start getting married and all that sort of stuff. So we, we said to them, where do you want to go on holiday? And they said, we'd like to go to the New Forest you know, down south. Well, we always used to go to the New Forest when they were young. When they were little kids, we had a tent and we went down there and we would camp and and then... What we always did on holiday was, we, to save arguments, we would say, right, on Monday, 
you decide what we do, and we'll all do it, smiling and happy. On Tuesday, it's your choice. You know, on Wednesday, it's your choice. On Thursday, it's your choice. And, you know, whatever you choose, we will do. So we get down on, on holiday two years ago, and, and Frances says, she's our eldest, she says, can we do what we used to do? You know, can we choose an activity each day? And we said, yeah, that's fine. And the other thing we always did on holiday, particularly when they grew up a bit more, was, you know, on Monday you cook, on Tuesday you cook, on Wednesday you cook, on Thursday you cook, and just so Fiona got a break. And then um, Hannah said, and we are going to cook, have one day cooking, aren't we? He said, yeah, yeah, we do all of that. So on Monday, we said to Francis, what do you want to do? It's your day. You choose. She said, I want to sit on the beach all day. Do you know what? That's exactly what she chose to do 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Hillary said, can we go for a cycle ride? Can we hire some bikes and go for a cycle ride? That's, ex- that's what she did, would have chosen 20 years ago. And we just went through the week, and it was really like similar to what we would have done 20 years ago. The only difference was, instead of drinking two cartons of fruit juice, they drank two or three bottles of wine. <laughs> but apart from that, it was very much the same as, you know, what we would have done when they were little kids. But it was just such fun. And, you know, generally, you know, we have children to bring us pleasure. We want our kids, we, we, we delight in them, we take pleasure, and we love, we love them, we love what they do. We love to see them develop into their own personalities and characters and so on. Now, I know, you know, life has its ups and downs and they have their little hiccups and, and you know, and all that stuff. And, but how much more, if we delight in our kids, how much more does God the Father delight in us? And, you know, he created everything and it is for your pleasure he, that they were created, that they exist. And we sometimes think that, that when we read he created everything, we think he means everything apart from us. He created the beautiful planet. He created the beautiful world. He created the trees, the plants, the birds, the flowers, all of that stuff. You know, yes, of course he delights in his creation, but we kind of miss ourselves off the end. But when he says everything, he means everything. He created everything to bring him pleasure. Col- Revelation 4.11, and it's, I read it from the New Living Translation. Uh, Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by him, and all things were created for him. And this again, all things includes you and you. Yeah, all things includes all of us. All things were created by him and for him. Because he, he wanted this family to bring him pleasure. And then in, in Isaiah chapter 43, there's an amazing, you know, the people are basically rebelling. They've gone off and done their own thing. And Isaiah sort of prophesies, he speaks God's words, and he says, you know, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You know, even when the people have gone off and are living in rebellion, they're doing their own thing, they've turned their back on God, he says to them, you are mine. You belong. 
you know, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And that just speaks so lovingly of whatever we go through in life, he will be with us. And the, the truth is, isn't it, stuff happens. You know, we all go through things. And if, you, if we had time for you all to tell me your stories, um, I would hear, you know, we would all hear how things have happened that we wished hadn't happened. Stuff has gone on that we wish we, we wouldn't have got into or whatever. But yet we can look back and say, oh, yes, he was with me in those times. You know, he was keeping me safe. He wasn't letting me go too far off on my own. He was... He was always there for me. And I know that's been my story, that I can look back and say, yeah, has it always been easy? No. Do I wish it was always easy? Yes. You know, but I can look back and say, he has been with me in the hard times. He's been with me through the difficult times. You know, I know he's always been with me. Even when I've gone my own way and done my own thing, yes, he is there. And that is such a, comforting thing that Isaiah says to us that you know whatever happens you know, when it feels like you're going through the fire don't worry he is with you and then we get this 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 lovely bit in verses six and seven it says I will say to the north give them up and to the south do not hold them back bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. See, Isaiah is just speaking God's words in that passage and saying, my sons and daughters have gone walkabouts. You know, my sons and daughters are doing their own thing. They're living a life as they please and as they choose. <coughs> but in God's heart is this cry that says, come back, come home. You know, I made you, I created you for my glory. And it's like, you know, the God of the universe who is perfect and complete in himself, he doesn't need us to make him complete. He just wants us because he wants a family that he can love. But yet he says, I created you for my glory. And it's like there's something in the heart of God that says that, that we add glory to who he is which is almost incomprehensible because God is complete in himself you know and he doesn't need anything to make him look better he certainly doesn't need us to make him look any better but yet he says I created you for my glory and it's like there's something in the human heart that when the human heart comes alive it just builds a better picture of the glory and the nature and the personality of who God is. And there's, uh, you see, I think God's sitting up in heaven before he started Genesis, thinking, I want a family that will bring me pleasure. You know, I want sons and daughters that I can delight in. I want sons and daughters that I can love. And then, you know, I think he looks across heaven and he sees Jesus. And he thinks, I want my sons and daughters to be like that son, Jesus. I want them to be like Jesus. 
And in Romans 8, verse 28, we read that we were predestined to the likeness of his son. See, that he chose us to become like Jesus. He chose us to be like his firstborn son. That as we are, you know, as that process of redemption works within us, we become more and more like Jesus. We become more and more like his son. We talked about that verse yesterday in 1 John, that whoever claims to be in him will walk as he walked. Um, you know, that our heart will become like Jesus' heart. And in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, it says we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory into the likeness of his son. And that's, you know, that's an incredible process that God the Father would take each one of us and say, I want you to be like my son Jesus. I want you to be transformed into Jesus' likeness. I want your heart to be changed so it becomes more like Jesus' heart. That's an incredible gift, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing that's been given to us. And most of us spend a lot of our lives living outside of that, as we'll see a, a little bit later on. But that verse in, in 2 Corinthians 3:18 about being transformed into his likeness. You know, I read that a few months ago. And do you know what it said? It said some, I'm sure it said something different to what it said for all these years. It says, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And I suddenly saw it. We are glorious already. See, we are glorious. God the Father sees our lives with glory in it. And he's just changing that glory from one level to another. See, most of us think that we're sort of, you know, God's got a hard job on his hands. <laughs> that he's, before he can make us glorious, he's got to lift us out of the pit. He's got to clean us up. He's got to polish us down. You know, he's got to change us before he can start the process of putting glory into our lives. But I read that verse just, just last year sometime, and I, I thought, gosh, it says from one degree of glory to another. And it was just like that light came on in my heart that said, oh, yeah. Wherever we are at on our journey, whatever is going on in our hearts, God the Father looks on us and sees glory in our hearts. And I thought, wow, that's good. I like that. And it's so much more positive than feeling like he's scraping the bottom of the barrel and trying to get us sorted out. And, you know, one day if we do enough and if we work hard enough and we eventually please him enough, then, oh, yeah, you're looking quite good today. <laughs> yeah. But actually, he looks on us every day and says, hey, you're looking quite good today. You know, we can polish it up a little bit, but you're looking good. Because we are a, a reflection of his son, Jesus. And that reflection, the, the brightness of that reflection will grow and grow and grow and grow. And this was, this was God's plan. This was plan A. He wanted us to be a family that would bring him pleasure. He wanted us to be made in the image of his son, Jesus. And I think he wanted us, he wants us to enjoy the unity of the Trinity. 
you know, the, the love within the Trinity is totally complete. There's nothing missing. You know, we talk about three in one and one in three, and we don't really kind of understand what that means. But it, it's this perfect intimacy and unity and oneness, and it's, it's the way they work together in, in harmony and unity and diversity. Uh, I was really stirred up by the Trinity um, in, in the autumn sometime, and I, I just sat, I thought, I'm just going to sit down and write a few thoughts about what I think about the Trinity. And three hours later, I'd written 15 pages of A4 um, paper. I decided to do it the old-fashioned way. I decided to write it with a pen and paper rather than at the computer screen. And um, I just sat down there with a pen and, and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And actually, it was, it was quite a revelation because it, actually, it flowed a lot easier writing with a pen rather than sitting at a keyboard. Because when you sit at a keyboard and type, well, if you're me, you, you're constantly changing your spelling and checking the grammar and stuff. And but when you write, you just write, don't you? And it just comes out of the pen. So I did this and really got kind of excited about the Trinity. And then I looked again and thought, yes, we are brought into that trinity into that relationship i've got a friend trevor gelpin and one of the things he will do is is he will often put three chairs at the front of the meeting room when he's speaking in a triangle you know the father son and spirit and he will just talk about us being in the center of that relationship and you know as he's speaking people will come up and sit on one of the chairs or just sit in the middle on the floor and and it's, it's, it's just like you want to experience something of, of that intimacy that is this relationship that we call the Trinity. But our view, if, if we, you know, our view often of these three chairs would be to put two chairs in front and one chair at the back. You know, it's like we've got Jesus and the Holy Spirit sitting on the front row because they're nice, we like them, we understand them. And God the Father, who's a little bit angry and a little bit distant, is sitting in the back row. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit are doing all they can to keep him away from us <laughs> because he's a scary God. But that's not the, the truth. The reality, as we saw yesterday, is when we look to John chapter 17, is Jesus revealing the Father and the Holy Spirit being the spirit of sonship that comes into our hearts that enables us to cry out a Father. So rather than Jesus and the Holy Spirit keeping the Father away from us, what Jesus and the Holy Spirit are desperate to do is to say, hey, this guy's good. You need to know that he is your Father. And we're invited into this center of this relationship. We're invited into this Trinity. And, uh, you know, that... That relationship that they experienced before the beginning of time is, is something for us to step in and share with them. At the very end of John 17, and we read it yesterday, but I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. It says, I have given them the revelation of who you are, and I will continue to make you even more real to them so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them, even as I live in them. You know, and if we read those chapters from John 14 to John 18, we see this 
amazing picture of the Holy Spirit being sent to live in us, to be with us forever. We see Jesus going back to the Father and them coming and making their home with us. We see us living in Jesus and Jesus living in the Father. It all gets very complicated and confusing as who's living in who. (laughs) But, you know, the point is we are invited into this relationship. We live in him and he lives in us and it doesn't matter who lives where, but we all live together. We've got, you know, our home is with him, his home is with us. And that's always been God's plan. That's what he wanted for Adam and his wife in the garden. That's, you know, what he created them to enjoy, that perfect relationship. And, you know, we know the story of Genesis, don't we? That Genesis chapter 1 says, you know, in the beginning God said, let there be light. Now, I don't really mind what view you have of creation, whether you believe it happened in six literal days or six periods of time. You know, that's not the point. You know, the point is God created. God spoke a word and it happened. And, you know, I I don't know. I've kind of got a little bit of a creative mind sometimes. And I kind of think it must have been amazing for the angels to watch. You know, like there they are up in heaven and God says, let there be light and ding, light appears. And then the earth and the seas. The angels must have been going, wow, wow. You know, whoa, look at those plants, look at those birds, look at those trees. You know, what a beautiful place. And they must have been going, oh, our father is so good, you know, and cheering him on. And then Saturday comes and he finishes the creation. And then after lunch on Saturday, he does something different. (laughs) You know, I don't know about the time scale, but, you know, when we read it in the Bible, it kind of feels like that, doesn't it? Saturday morning, he finishes the creation. Saturday afternoon, he does something different. You know, instead of saying, let there be a man, bazow, a man appears. He could have done that. You know, he could have done that. He could have spoken a word and Adam would have been created. But he didn't do that. He knelt down on the ground and he made a sandcastle. You know, I hate making sandcastles. You know, being a dad on the beach, making sandcastles was one of the worst things I had to do. But I did it because that's what you do. But, you know, God gets down on the, the, the ground and he gathers the dust together into a pile and then he starts patting it down, you know, and shaping it around a little bit. You know, can you imagine what the angels were thinking? You know, has the guy taken leave of his senses? You know, has this creation been too much for him, you know? It stretched him too much. You know, what, what is he doing now? And then they get this moment when they think, hang on, that pile of dust looks a little bit like him. You know, when you make the sandcastles on the beach, dragons or castles or, or whatever, you know, and think, oh, yeah, that's what it is. Well, if some people sandcastles. Mine never looked like what they were supposed to do. But, you know, the angel sort of, it looks a bit like him. And then what did he do? You know, he knelt over this pile of dust. And where this sort of nose-like shape was, he breathed his breath into it. And the Bible tells us when he did that, that the man became alive, a living soul. 
And it's like God breathing his life in. Suddenly that sand, that dust became like skin. And fingernails appeared at the end. And eyebrows and eyelashes and ears and a mouth and nostrils. And the fingers became separated and the toes became separated. You know, and suddenly this pile of dust is a living being. It's a man. Can you imagine what Adam would have felt like when he opened his eyes? You know, what did he experience? What did he see? He, I think when Adam opened his eyes, he looked straight into his father's eyes. And he saw the eyes of perfect love. As a, as a fully grown, fully mature man, as a perfect man, he looked into the eyes of love. Can you imagine what that, that was like? That must have been the most you know, amazing experience. And the Bible tells us one day, you know, when we go back to be with him, we will see him face to face. You know, we, will, we too will have that experience of looking into our father's eyes one to one. But I believe we can experience that that look now, you know, in part, we can experience the Father looking at us with eyes of pleasure and saying, you're my daughter, I love you. You're my daughter, I love you. You're my son, I love you. You know, we need to hear those words of affirmation spoken into our hearts because that's the Father looking upon us. And, you know, when Adam opened his eyes and looked into his father's eyes, it would have just been a complete download of perfect love. See, when our daughter, when our first daughter was born, and I did this for the other kids, but I, I always just remember it for the f more for the first because it was a first. But um, when she was born uh, in the hospital in, in Oxford, um, it took the midwives and the doctors about three quarters of an hour to sort Fiona out after the birth. And so I held Francis for 45 minutes. And I just had a head here and a bottom here. And I just looked at this little life. And I thought, wow, where did you come from? I mean, I knew, you know. But I thought, oh, wow, where did you come from? Yeah. And I talked to her for about 45 minutes. I took her to the window and I showed her all the view over Oxford. And I said, you see that bit over there? That's where our house... I mean, she didn't have a clue what I was saying, but you know, that's where we live. And over there is this and over there is that. And, you know, I told her all about our house and I told her all about the people in my family and all the people in Fiona's family and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, in that moment, I was just looking at her with my eyes of love. And that's just my perfect expression of love being poured into her. But how much more did Adam <laughs> receive when he looked into the, the perfect eyes of his perfect father? And you know, they, they say that when a newborn baby is, is born for the first few days, the first few weeks maybe, the focusing distance of their eyes is 12 inches. That's, that's what they can focus on. And that's just the distance of them being held at their mother's breast and feeding. And it's like they focus on their mother's eyes. And it's just that connection of love, which we were all meant to receive in all its fullness. And of course, many of us didn't, but that's another story. 
But, you know, when Adam was born, he was born into an environment of perfect love. And then, you know, we know the story that Adam, uh, God comes to Adam one day and says, it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, I think God's got a sense of humor. Because there's God, there's Adam, I mean, all on his own in the garden with all these animals running around. And God comes to him and says, Adam, you're a bit lonely. Now, isn't that amazing that Adam had God as his friend? Adam had God as his father. And they lived in this perfect relationship. It was unspoiled at this time. And God says to Adam, you're lonely. You know, it's like you need someone just for you. And even though God is, satisfies all our desires and satisfies all our needs, he knows our need for human companionship. And he said, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. So let's go for a little walk around the garden and see if we can find someone who's going to be your partner. Because the very next thing that happens is they go for this walk around the garden and Adam says, no, that's, that's not my partner, that's a giraffe. That's not my partner, that's a hippo. Because it says, you know, the order is, God says, it's not good for you to be alone. Let's go and name the animals. And they named all the animals. And then at the end of the story, it says, and there was found no helper fit for Adam. You know, I just think God's got such a sense of humor. Because he knew that he knew the answer. He knew that none of those animals were the right partner. And so he puts Adam to sleep. And out of Adam's side, he forms his wife. And she's not named Eve until after the fall. You know, they were so united and so one that they even shared the same name. And it was the sin that separated them from God that separated them from each other, that she had to have her own name. And so Adam's wife is, is created. And it's, it says in, in Genesis that, you know, there was, there was, it was, that they couldn't find a helper fit for Adam. And that word helper is the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Bible, when the word for the Holy Spirit is used, it's the same word. So, ladies, you're on a par with the Holy Spirit. See, you were given to us men to be a helper like the Holy Spirit is a helper to us. And I just think that's so amazing that that's how God sees you ladies. Uh, and that's not how society has seen you. You know, it's, it's devalued women and church has devalued women. And, you know, many, you know, in many ways through history, women have been devalued. But when God created that first woman, it was given as a helper in the same way as the Holy Spirit is a helper. You know, and I just want to affirm you with that this morning, that that's who you are, each one of you ladies. That's how God sees you. And, you know, here we are in this beautiful creation, Adam and his wife living in perfect harmony with God. And wouldn't it have been lovely if it stayed that way? But it all went wrong, didn't it? And we read in, in Isaiah chapter 14, of this is a prophecy that Isaiah gives against, against Babylon. But it's actually also a prophecy, it's a prophetic word about what actually happened in heaven with Lucifer, who was one of the 
one of the archangels. And Isaiah writes, he says in verse 12, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, the sun of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And Lucy, I don't know how this happened, but in the perfect environment of heaven, something took hold of Lucifer's heart. And he said, I want God's position for myself. You know, he wasn't really saying, I want to be like God. He was saying, I want to be God. And we read in there, and we read in, our, in Ezekiel 28, how he was thrown from heaven to the earth. Now, haven't you always asked yourselves, why did God throw him to the earth? Wouldn't it have been kinder if God threw him to Mars or Venus or somewhere? <laughs> yeah, it would have been a lot less trouble for us, lot, wouldn't it? But God threw Lucifer to earth because I believe he wanted Lucifer to be defeated by sons and daughters. Through the first son, Jesus, but through us living as sons and daughters. See, Satan took God's place for himself. He wanted to take God's place. He didn't obviously take it, but he wanted to take God's place for himself. He saw that God was the perfect father. He saw that God was the eternal father. And something, it says in Ezekiel, in, in, in Ezekiel 28, it's, you know, um, that his wisdom became corrupted you know his heart changed how that happens in the perfect environment of heaven i don't know you know i i don't know whether god gives angels free choice in the same way as he gives us free choice the implication of lucifer's actions are maybe they did because how could that have happened otherwise but you know it describes, in, in Ezekiel, it describes Lucifer as this beautiful created being covered in, in gemstones, rubies and topaz and emeralds. Now, my son is, is a gemologist. He's qualified as, you know, all these gems. Oh, he's got 750 gemstones in his bedroom. <laughs> it's a girl's dream, you know. <laughs> and he sits there testing them all and... He's just set up a shop on Etsy to try and sell some of them. And so I was photographing all these stones for him the other day. And, and they are beautiful, beautiful gemstones. And when they catch the light, they just are so stunningly beautiful. And, you know, we think of Satan coming into the garden as a serpent. And if I see, I go to Uganda regularly. If I see a snake, I'm out of there. You know, <laughs> if a snake gets anywhere near me, I'm a long, long, long way away. <laughs> And there was a, I was there last time, and someone came to me and said, Mark, do you want to see a snake in our house? And I said, hang on a minute, just let me change the lens on my camera. So I put my really, really long lens on it so I could stand a long way away from this snake and you know, take a picture. And I, I've seen a snake. Like, yeah, I was a long way away from that snake. <laughs> but, you know, if we see a snake, we, we, we're, 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 we're running, aren't we? But somehow that's... Lucifer in the garden was attractive because it drew the woman in. And, you know, when we read that he was covered in all these beautiful stones, I know something about you ladies. You like beauty. And I can imagine being attracted to something beautiful. 
And I think that was part of the trap. Because you know, why else would you? Why else would it have happened? And we read this this picture of of Lucifer wanting to be like God. And it's interesting that we read elsewhere that he was a father of lies. You know, he wanted to be a father because that's what he saw God being. But because his heart had been corrupted, because his wisdom had been corrupted, because his beauty had been corrupted, all he could become was the father of lies. And in Ephesians, Paul writes that, you know, we followed the ways of the prince of the power of the air. You know, it's like this guy wanted something, but when he got it, it actually wasn't what he wanted. It was completely the opposite. You know, God is a God of love. God is a father of love, and Satan is a father of lies. God is a God of love. Satan is a father of fear. And it's like he got what he wanted, but he got it in a corrupted and and instead of the perfect sense, it was the totally imperfect sense. And we know the story of what happened in the garden, don't we? That he set a trap for, for the woman. And a trap always looks attractive, doesn't it? You know, an animal goes to a trap because of some bait. Sees some food. I think, I want that food. And he goes to get it. If, if a trap looked like a trap, no one would fall for it. But a trap always looks attractive. And here, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan tricks the woman. He said, did God really say? You know, he sows a question of doubt. Can God really be trusted? Can you really trust God's nature? Can you really trust God's character? Did he really say you would eat the fruit and die? Well, he hadn't said that to the woman. He'd said that to Adam, the man. So he must have passed it on to her sometime. But Satan says, did, did God really say you will, be, you, you will die? You, you won't die. You know, God can't be trusted. And of course, when they took the fruit and ate, did they die? No. So was Satan right? They didn't die. Well, they did actually die. Because what died was their relationship with the father. You know, the, and so... You know, Satan sows this question into their hearts. You know, God, God said you'll die, but you won't die. You know, you will still be alive in five minutes' time if you eat the fruit. And Satan then sells, tells, sells another lie and says, you know, you, you won't die, but you will be like him. Well, hang on a minute. Weren't they made in his image? Weren't they already like him? And the woman falls for the trap and takes the fruit. And he, no, she doesn't eat it at that point. Now, my Sunday school Bible told me this story. My Sunday school Bible told me that Adam was being a good boy at the other side of the garden doing what he'd been told to do. He was being a farmer. He was working the land. He was doing all the right things. And his lazy little wife was at home doing nothing. And she got tricked by Satan. That's what my Sunday school Bible told me. And my Sunday school Bible told me that Adam came home at the end of the day having had a hard day in the field. And he says, oh, you naughty little girl, what have you done? <laughs> but that's not what the Bible says. And it, I, you know, I hate to tell you this, but it was only about 10 years ago that I realized actually what the story says. <laughs> because Adam was standing right by her side. 
And it was she took the fruit, and when she gave it to him, and they ate together, that's when they sinned. And, you know, Adam, bless his heart, he did nothing to protect his wife. You know, he was standing right at her side, and he watched it all happen, and he did nothing. And sadly, that is the story of a lot of men today, (laughs) not doing anything. And Adam, when God comes along in the garden a little bit later, you know, Adam, you know, God says, Adam, where are you? Because they suddenly feel guilty. They feel their shame. They feel their nakedness. They cover themselves with fig leaves and they hide. And God comes along and says, Adam, where are you? You know, that question, Adam, where are you? I think it's a question that Father asks each one of us. Where are you? Where are you? And very often we're like Adam and Eve. We're hiding in our fig leaves. Hiding in our shame, hiding in our guilt. We run away. And God comes and he calls our name and says, where are you? And of course he knows what's happened. And Adam and his wife come before God. And Adam, dear old Adam, he says, it wasn't me. It was her. It's all her fault. And then he says, actually, God, it's your fault because you gave her to me in the first place. Yeah, can you imagine how she felt when, when that was said? You know, that, that intimate relationship that they'd had together was suddenly ripped in two. And sadly, that's how it's been for centuries and centuries. The relationship between men and women has been ripped in two all because of what happened in the garden. And I see the Father restoring that. I see the Father putting that back together. I see the Father restoring the place of women in in the church and giving value where there hasn't been value. I see the feminine side that has been so destroyed and, and beaten up being restored to the church. And one of the things we teach on sometimes on our school is the whole restoration of the complete image of God, the masculine and the feminine, the true masculine and the true feminine, not the broken masculine and the broken feminine that we so often live in. And in our story, we suddenly have separation between God and his children. Suddenly the plan A that we've talked about at the beginning doesn't look like it's going to work. Why don't we take a break till half past 11 and then we'll continue the story because it's not all bad news. It does get better. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.